Clubhouse chats, and I kind of went, because Clubhouse had come and gone in front of my imagination. I just thought, oh, it's it's the new thing. But that was the moment I kind of got intrigued, and a friend of mine in Montreal happened to have some invites, and I said, okay, Sylvain, send me an invite. And I listened to two chats yesterday. Um, one, um, Beth and um, Amrita, who used to do the Masala Zindabad podcast have now sort of moved this onto Clubhouse. And they did a, an hour chat about the Kapoor family and Kapoor family films. And then, you know, there were few enough people that they could allow people to raise their hands and start contributing to the chat. And it was really interesting. Um, and it's, you know, when I spoke to Beth about it, her her point was it's a way to do podcasts type stuff chat about things without the extra work it takes to do the editing and get it all set and put it out. And I thought, you know, there is a really good place for that. And then the second one I did was the, I, and I mentioned that in the, in the notes, our uh, notes for today, okay. um, the No Bollywood Saturday group, which I think is a, is a core of the, the people who mm -hmm. do the, um, the other banana podcast, which I've mentioned before, who deal with South Indian films. And they did a whole hour and a half or so on Drisham 2. And there were a lot of people in their chat room and a lot of lively discussion and a lot of things raised about um, about the film that I had actually been thinking about, but that I hadn't been seeing in um, the regular sort of reviewing press or on Twitter or or if it had been raised, it was sort of summarily dismissed. Um, I think I mentioned to you the, the article, um, sort of a feminist perspective on Drisham 2 and victim blaming. And um, I thought, I thought, I don't know that I completely go as far as that argument, but I thought it was an interesting perspective to consider and, uh, and one that I really hadn't been seeing up until that point. Yeah, and I read that article um, about victim blaming because... And because you had linked to it um, on the document, and I, I wouldn't say it's victim blaming. Is what it does that I constantly have a problem with the Malayalam cinema. Even when they don't victim blame, they take away the victim's agency, which is to me is a, as big a sin because she becomes this. I mean, I think, you know, she was a young girl in the first movie. Like, she, she's a teenager. Um, but at this point, she's, like, a very traumatized 20-something um, who kind of has, like, withdrawn into her little shell. I think that is okay. I, I don't think um, Ansiba is a very strong actress, and I think... Part of it might be that, um, is that even when she was playing a teenager, she was a little bit too old for that role. So there wasn't like that same level of like protectiveness that you feel towards a young person that you could feel towards her as an, uh, who looks like an adult functioning in that, in that character. But I think the sheer amount of like agency that she doesn't have, that Rani doesn't have is, is shocking to me because I think if this was a story about two parents who would go to any lengths to protect their family and to like shield their children from the consequences of like this terrible secret they have I think it would have been a much stronger movie rather than uh, just this one man like coming up with like all these ideas I mean we know the reason why George Ruti is like so uh, protective of his family is because he 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 is uh he is orphaned or right am i right he's orphaned in the first movie um and he like builds this family out of basically like sheer grit so we know why this these uh he feels that way but i it would have been nice if we got a little bit more of like how rani contributed to the like she, she's very willing to like go to any lengths to protect her children it's true but she shouldn't like fall apart and panic after that yeah, I think, and I think that was the more subtle thing that came out of the the No Bollywood um, 
Saturday discussion was what was a more nuanced look at that and and the agency around the the women and the the young women in this film. I also had not an issue, but I was struggling with the fact that on the one hand I can understand why he wants to protect his family so badly, and on the other hand with the idea that it was an accidental death and we're going to any lengths to cover up. And and again, I recognize that that, that may be a deficiency on, on my not able to understand sort of the Indian police or police system or, or legal system. Like my expectation would be if something like this happens, well, it's, it's an accident. We investigate it. We look for, you know, and, and I mean, of course there wouldn't be a film if that happened. Um, and also around the fact that, actually, let me let me not go in another direction. I can, on the one hand, I'm troubled by George Cutty's sort of moral view of all of this, despite understanding how he wants to protect his family. And I can appreciate how clever he is in doing this. But, uh, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to say spoilers, hello spoilers, for anyone who hasn't managed to see the film. I, I got to the point where I was thinking, this is a man who has taken a long time to establish and reestablish this cover-up. And I, 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 I don't even know how I feel, except I feel really troubled by that thought. Like it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like a good thing to do. I, th- I think we addressed that at the end of the movie, um, that... He's already begun his next stage of cover-up. That and what a the, is there any greater punishment for him than that? And and yes, I do think that considering the fact that his I don't know is it in the first movie when they hurt when they when he dies is the family even aware that's like a that's his mother is a police officer because that you know we don't to me the cover-up is not just that. Yeah, like they're protecting their daughter's like, like chastity. It's also that they're uh, that they don't want their life in this little town disrupted. That they have like this picture perfect life, and that they don't want it disrupted. So they're like everything is like kind of pushed underground along with the body, and so that um, you know on the surface things can go as smoothly as possible. Because the normal thing to do in a circumstance like this is to have left that town, to have left that area so that people who remember don't keep bringing it up constantly. Like, and the police, it would bother the police that the guy is still living there, like, having his successful business when, because they failed at, like, uh, investigating the case. Well, and obviously it did enough because, you know, as we, as we discovered, the, the police have been reinvestigating. They have been watching George Cuddy and his family. I, I do think for me, I found I found the second film much more successful. And a lot of people are saying, well, the first half was too long. And I thought, no, the first half establishes the guilt and the effect of the guilt on their family and the, fe- and the effect of the guilt in their community and how the community, like there are these constant insinuations about what happened or what didn't happen or how his daughter was involved and so that you're right there there is it's not completely the film is not completely without some sense of morality there is something there there is something going on and you know the whole and yes the whole idea of guilt and and the impact of it I just always end up curious when I don't feel as invested and excited at the end of a film as a lot of people do I will say for me at least intellectually this Mohanaru I think more than the first one, because I think that's done in a... Maybe I need to go back and watch the first one. But is it's like the intellectual version of like the roles he does in Narasimha, where he's like a superman and like a superhuman person. And he's like got every point figured out. Um, and that is exhausting because it's not, it's not realistic. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, we want... I wanted him to mess up. I wanted him to, I wanted him to have to ask for help. I think my favorite, like the twist about 
Sarira is was like my favorite. I think that was my favorite part of the film. Like I was like shook. <laughs> that was I didn't see that coming. <laughs> um, did you see that coming? No, no. And and my problem with the first film um, is that the minute they t started talking about the, the construction of the new um, police station, I went, oh, yeah. okay. That's where he's going to put the body. And and for me, that deflated everything. And, you know, to be fair, that's maybe because I read a lot of murder mysteries. I'm, I'm a little more invested in those kind of things. So the minute I saw that, and, and I can't unsee it. Um, so for someone who came at it and didn't see that, and that dropped as a twist, I guess intellectually I can see that. But the second film, yeah, there were a lot of interesting you know, details that littered the first half of the film. And if you weren't really paying attention, you didn't see them. And then everything dropped. It was like, whoa. So I, I, on some level, I really did appreciate the construction of the second film in that way. But then again, if I had tweaked to anything at any moment, it might have knocked the rug out from under the film for me. But it didn't happen. So I, I was at least, you know, pleased by that. And I, and you know, Yes, you're right, it is exhausting. But on the other hand, I mean, yes, it's, he was really clever. I, I fully admit that. I was sitting in the first half, like, I wasn't even thinking about the dead body, to be honest. I was sitting there, um, and I think it's supposed to be meant to be done this way in some sense, is that I was sitting there perceiving and absorbing, like, the trauma for the community. And, like, uh, the trauma for the, like, Anju and Anu for the girls, in a little different way for Rani, who's like, uh, just wants to get her daughter married and away from all this. Um, and George O'D, I thought his drinking was because of his trauma. So to me, it made a lot more sense that this man had just taken up drinking after all this because, you know, that's like he wanted to keep his, uh, he wanted to keep his brain groggy. But yeah, to for that all to be like, nope, he just has his super secret plan to like um, throw the police off is, I don't know. <laughs> well, and that's, there. there is the moment where I start having real problems with that character. Because I think this is completely like premeditated, planned. At the first film, I mean, you know, nothing was premeditated. He just had to deal with the aftermath and protect his family. And I mean, I guess in some way he is still dealing with the aftermath because, you know, it, the issue keeps coming up in this community. I did keep, I did keep saying to myself, you know, you know, why don't they just move? But then I sort of took a step back and say, you know, that's easy for me to say because in, in the world I live in, it's, it would be relatively easy to do that. Is it that easy to pull yourself out of a community like that without it looking suspicious? I, I think, you know, I'm thinking about some of the big cases that um, where, you know, the town turned against like a family. Um, the Sudian Ali case is like one of them. It's like people do move like people do go elsewhere but the problem is by the time you get rooted into a community and you know for example if he wanted to keep building his business he would have to like people would have to know who they were and they would probably go back and like start hearing rumors from like the town they left so it wouldn't it wouldn't be as easy as in the west to like move and start anew but they could go abroad. I don't know. Like it, it seemed like his brother-in-law was living in Dubai. Yeah, but again, by the time the police clear your passport, because there's a criminal investigation that might like sh uh, shake out like new things. <laughs> I think there is a sense of like they don't have a lot of places to go, and they're just kind of having to s stick around and do the best they can where yeah. they are. and and that. I mean, that seems to me to be perfectly understandable. But again, it, you know, like we were talking earlier about, you know, sort of bridging cultures and, and trying to gain more understanding. It's, it's, it's one of the things that sort of popped into my mind as a question. How easy is it to stay? How easy is it to go? Um, and, uh, you know, and as I mentioned to you, because um, some of the people who were dismissive of, you know, people looking for, for more, um, I don't want to say woke, but more nuanced 
interpretations of the film were were being very dismissive because um, either it, it was like this is this is what life is like in Kerala in a place like this, um, but my question was, this was a, a direct to um, streaming release. I saw a lot of chatter online for people that this was the first film from Kerala that they had ever seen particularly some people from within India, a lot of Westerners suddenly going, and I'm sort of surprised they started with the second part, not the first, but I guess, you know, you, you, if you start seeing buzz about it online and it's suddenly available, I mean, clearly that's, that's a, that position, positions it more as a film that is, um, because we've talked about things that are very rooted in Kerala and that are very rooted in the Kerala experience and how it can be, challenging particularly you know for someone like me to come in and um and and understand all the nuances of what that means but clearly if you're sending something to an international streaming you you are expecting that an audience who is not from Kerala not from with India is going to have access to your film and I think it's a little bit disingenuous to say well you just have to um, you 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 can't explore any of these issues because you're not the target audience. Also, it's ridiculous to say that like a woman in a middle class family in rural Kerala wouldn't be resourceful. That the mother wouldn't just be as resourceful as the father. Like, and that she wouldn't just be as like committed to protecting the family because that's kind of what it's like. The mom has one what like is thinking in what completely what a different direction than like the crime um like she's thinking about the reputation and that's like i don't know like ronnie doesn't have enough depth to her because all her depth is like poured into jojo's character and it's really unsatisfying when your yeah. hero is superhuman and unfortunately with Again, that was this was another interesting thing that I've I've kind of been seeing a little discussion about. Although people tend to be careful, I I actually don't. I probably shouldn't admit this. I I am very careful on platforms like Twitter about what I will say about an actor like Mohanlal, because there are a lot of people who, who yeah, I, I see you're smiling. Um, you because because you know what I mean. There are a lot of people who worship this man. And will brook no questioning of um, how perfect he is. I think they're also paid. Like, there's a lot of paid uh, people, the trolls who are paid uh, by their PR agencies. I mean, this was a big issue for Parvati um, after her comments about Kasaba. So, yeah, th- th- this is not this is not organic. I mean, I'm sure there are people who like who's you know the Mohla. <laughs> fans and welfare association people but i don't those guys i don't know if they're spending all their time trolling on twitter because a lot of their work might be dedicated to like like promoting his films in theater and like i feel like there's a lot of paid people and my experience over the last 10 years and i know some diehard mohanla fans and my experience with them is they are they're absolutely overjoyed to share what they consider his his legitimately good performances with me but they're also very aware of when films are less than optimum um and they you know if i mention something they'll steer me away from it despite being a diehard fan so i yeah you're right there there are different levels of fandom here and and lots of more nuance than i'm probably suggesting at this point i'm going to be honest i I am a little sad to see um, how his career is sort of panning out at this point. Um, I'm really sad to see he he hasn't, like his face hasn't moved in the last five years. That has, yeah, a lot of people have have mentioned, you know, the Botox or the potential Botox. Um, I couldn't help thinking... I was I was watching quite honestly I was watching Drisham two on my phone, um, because being sick I was sort of lying down a lot and I was painfully aware of the dye job on his beard and all I thought was oh my god to imagine seeing that in a cinema full screen and 
I mean, we've seen this in Bollywood too, discussions about the cons and, and their careers and navigating a career when you're aging. And I can, I can only grasp a tiny bit of how challenging that must be when you have a certain level of expectation from the audience that you will be a hero eternally, an ageless, timeless hero eternally, and then suddenly you're 50 or 60. But I do look at it and I, th I think Mamuti is navigating that better. He is. He's doing it much more gracefully. Um, whatever work Mamuti has d had done is, it's holding up, man. <laughs> Catherine is afraid to say anything for the record, for the listeners. Catherine is afraid to say anything because <laughs> she doesn't want people on Twitter to come <laughs> after <laughs> Well, and it's, it's, I... I only feel sad and and you know to some level I understand it because I'm I'm of a same generation as 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 Mohanlal and I understand the disconnect that happens some days between what my brain thinks and that my what my body will and will not choose to do and there are moments when I wake up and I and I look in the mirror and I I think who is this woman because inside my head I'm still 25 inside my head when it works when it works really well um so i i what i what i'm actually trying to to underscore here is a kind of this is this is a really challenging thing for people as they get older um and i think it hits women much harder than it hits men i mean you only have to see that in film industries where 30 women are old mm -hmm. And, you know, heroines cycle through and get younger and younger as the heroes get older and older. So there is a whole system in place for them that is based on upholding to some, to some extent, you know, this youthful image that they have. I, I, can, I can see how it, it must be a trap for, for some actors. And yet some of them do handle it m much better. You know, the only thing is for me, it's disappointing is the the hair pieces and the beard and the Botox to all like cover up a face that face that Manialis have loved for its expressiveness, for its, for its subtlety, for, for the humor yeah. in his eyes that, um, you know, I'm a, I'm like a nineties kid. So for me, it's all these movies that like, that he put out in the late eighties, early nineties. That's my, that's my childhood. And like, Obviously, like, just like any other Mayali, I'm an ardent Mohanlal fan. But, yes, it's been disappointing since 2000 to see that he's he's refused to age in a way that is that we didn't expect, I think. Um, because, you know, he, he, he went from those, like, ordinary man roles to the superhuman roles uh, around that time. And, and uh, I think... He's not Rajinikant. We don't like that. The part of the covering up with the hair and the beard and the uh, Botox is like he looks more like Rajinikant than he does more. <laughs> well, at least with Rajinikant, like that's that's an on-screen image. I may I may have you know my own problems around that on-screen image, but off-screen he doesn't do any of that. Off-screen he just is his age. He doesn't have the hair pieces. He's gray. And and I think I to be honest I think I was really lucky getting into Malayalam cinema when I did because I think it was before the worst of this stuff started to happen and because I was kind of an anomaly I had a lot of people holding my hand and saying go back and watch this so I was watching a lot of as many as I could find with subtitles 80s and 90s films so I had that experience as a newbie coming into the cinema and it was quite funny because I didn't, I didn't even think, I, I will make a slight confession. <laughs> I have had Botox, but not for cosmetic purposes to help deal with migraines. So I know what it does to your face. And I also know that you have to keep doing it and doing it to make it last. But, and yet I didn't even twig that that was what was, might be going on with Mohanal's face. But as a viewer, mm -hmm. I was going, where are his emotions? Because I'd already sort of been primed to expect that so now that everybody is saying to me oh well i'm like oh duh yes of course and what and but now i'm asking myself why do you keep doing this like maybe once it was because you were asked for a role and okay well what however i feel about that it happened 
but why are you locking yourself into this way of aging? It's uh, it's beyond me, <laughs> and I uh, and I really, but I really do hope that that you know people will be, that the new people who are coming in will will be the same position in the same position I was, and will be encouraged to go back because now those films are much more widely available with subtitles, subtitles, and I would really love to see people go back and see some of his earlier work to really understand why people are fans of this man and why he's considered such a good actor. And that's, that's sort of, maybe I bring it full, full, full circle because, um, you know, yes, I'm trying to be careful about what I say about him, but part of that is the recognition that I really do know what you mean. Like, I'm not going to dump on this man for one role because I really do know his filmography is much greater than some of this stuff that he's done in the last few years. I'm well aware of that fact. And I really do appreciate those earlier roles. Yeah, I, I think um, we, I, I have a couple of points. One is that, would you say Casanova is the lowest point in his career? <laughs> I'm, going to have to, I'm going to have to edit the laughter down. Casanova or Christian Brothers? Um, I don't remember being absolutely appalled by Christian Brothers. Casanova, I, uh, I just, I have, I have no words. I'm also challenged by Lucifer, which I, I didn't dislike. I think it did a better job of tapping into the Mohanlal as an icon, as a sort of iconic hero, um, than a lot of his more recent films have done. But it's also a big, massy kind of film, and that's a different, that's a different thing. That's not like you know, Mamuti yeah. going from a Shylock to an Onda. I, uh, we were not seeing, you know, Mamu like, to be fair, Mamuti is still doing some of these big, massy hero roles that maybe he should age out of. But he's also doing these smaller films that connect to his, you know, the earlier films as a as a real actor. Mamuti has um, new generation, like, has, has connections in the new generation group. As well as he's made two of the films that I would consider my favorite in that group, which is Munaripa and Frangietan and the Saint. Such different roles, such different roles. Yeah. And both so, like, so precious. <laughs> They're gems in their performances. Yeah. And I wish that, I mean, my bottom line here is I just wish I would see more of that from Mahalo. Like, let's forget about some of this. Let's take some risks. You know, he's not a risk taker. He likes what he likes. He likes the people that he likes. Anthony Perimbabur will make whatever crap he decides to star in. <laughs> like, he'll produce anything. And if he has a lull, yeah. maybe Priyadarshan will come in. I mean, he, I mean, he is doing a, a movie with Priyadarshan, isn't he? Didn't I not see something like that coming up? We definitely, that was definitely something out there. I mean, I guess I understand that a little bit too. It's easy, particularly as you get older, to, to want to be comfortable and, and, you know, just do what you've always done. I totally get that. But as a as a fan, I I find, you know, Mamuti's later career much more satisfying. And thankfully, um, you know, there are hundreds of earlier films that I can go and enjoy. And, and I, I suspect I will never see everything either of them has made there's a lot of rubbish <laughs> <laughs> well this is this is actually funny because this is another thing that came up on the on the clubhouse um no bollywood saturday thing too is this perception that people have these days that um Malilam cinema is the thing that's redeeming all of indian cinema and um again it was amrita who pointed out that you know there's there's trash in in mollywood as well <laughs> Every cinematic tradition, I lived in France for five years, we only see the stuff that's deemed good enough to come out. For the domestic audience, there's loads of trash. Because, you know, there's there's a there's a there's a taste for that. It's it's like reading a trashy novel. Sometimes you just need that to clear your palate. And then you move on to something that's a little richer or better written or, you know. <laughs> it's so interesting <laughs> to me that this like uh, this transformation about Malayalam cinema's reputation has happened because in the early 2000s Malayalam cinema was completely like people didn't know anything about Malayalam cinema except Shakila and like soft porn 
So, like, to this day, somebody will, like, randomly, like, say, I'm watching a Malayalam film, and it's like, oh. <laughs> and so there's, there's, like, uh, there is, there, it has had such a big reputational change. Like, I mean, Malayalis knew that Malayalam cinema was, like, the golden age. But then, like, obviously the 2000s were, and late 90s and 2000s were, like, equivalent to, like, a very, you know, low, low period. Uh, in the um, cinema, so what was out there in the world was was the soft porn uh, blue films. So yeah, it's it's a very it's a, had a big reputational change that I still find very surprising. Well, and at this point, I I'm finding it surprising too, um, even even though I don't have the history with it that you do. I will I will admit to a tiny little bit of frustration at people jumping on a bandwagon. <laughs> Catherine is the bandwagon, my culture. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just, it is frustrating when, you know, yes, someone yes. has seen one film and they've found Nirvana and, um, and now they're, they're the standard bearer. But fortunately, I mean, to be quite honest, that's, that's, those aren't the, the usual things. Yeah. And those, those are the kinds of people who yeah. will, who will find the next big thing, which might be Korean dramas, because I'm also seeing a, a fascinating uptick with the pandemic and people watching those. And maybe it, maybe this is it. Maybe it's it's the pandemic watching and more things, as we've discussed earlier, moving moving to streaming platforms. And now people are discovering and some people will stay and they'll learn more and some people will move on. Or, you know, they will just like have their entertainment choices expanded, you know, between, uh, you know, like an American Hollywood movie or an Indian movie, we you know they might decide to go for an Indian movie and then they decide it's a Malayalam film. Like you know, some I think the ideal situation is for me at least is for everybody to like like expand the and like even out their uh, and you know entertainment choices. That so like one doesn't dominate. Yep. You know, when I was living in India ten years ago, more they knew more about what was happening in Western cinema than they did what was happening in um, many of the South Indian industries. And that's, that's really changed. Yeah. And, and yeah. And uh, I'm still amazed that I got into Malayalam cinema when I did, and that there were actually people out there again, as I said, willing to hold my hand and, and lead me through. And to be honest, until the last two or three years, it was really hard for me to find films with subtitles. I, I was going down so many rabbit holes to, to buy DVDs. I have a massive DVD collection. And I'm actually not unhappy to not own that many DVDs mm -hmm. anymore. Like, if if people suddenly discovering this cinema means it's on more streaming platforms, that benefits me. Exactly. And I'm not going to complain about that at all. So we touched a little bit on sort of the setting for Drisham 2 and, and, and my questions around should they move, should they not move? Is this the kind of, you know, non-urban setting for this film that, you know, we can make assumptions about or shouldn't make assumptions about? And that kind of leads into a little bit the, the next sort of theme we're going to look at, which is sort of city life and urbanism. And yeah, like you said in Drishim, that you know, I was thinking the only possible way they could escape was if they moved to a big city, either in Kerala or um, outside, like Chennai or Bangalore or Mumbai, um, Calcutta. So yeah, it, it's exactly you're right. This the, this is a great transition. Yeah, and some of the things I got thinking when you when you proposed this theme were. Um, you know, how do individuals act within the city's built environment? How do people's way of life different in an urban, or how are lives different in an urban center than they are in a more, in a smaller city or in a, in a rural setting? I mean, some of the films we've already talked about now really do tap into um, non-urban life settings. So it was kind of interesting for me. And, and I really enjoyed this choice of Helen, too, because for me, it got me thinking about what are the connections that I can see as a Westerner living in a smaller city? What things do I see that are the same as the film setting? And what things 
are different where and where my misunderstandings might happen too because if I assume all urban centers are the same all around the world I might come out this with with some serious misconceptions so maybe we should sort of sum up the film first okay so Helen is basically a survival film um it's about a young woman played by um Anna Ben she is a um, she's been a graduate in nursing, but she's not working as a nurse. She's working in uh, the mall at a fried chicken place while she works on uh, her eyelets and uh, one of the English exams that you need to go abroad to work as a uh, nurse. She's trying to go, uh, immigrate to Canada. Uh, she lives with her dad. He is widowed. He, she, they're really close. He, he also went abroad when she was a kid to work in the Middle East, uh, so this is kind of a tradition in their family to uh, go abroad to earn some earn a living. She's very close to her neighbors, uh, but it's, you know, she's very much this um, go-getting young woman in the city. She has, a, she has a boyfriend who is Muslim and she's afraid her dad might, her dad wouldn't be cool with that, um, but they are pretty serious when they're planning to get married. He doesn't want her to immigrate to Canada. Um, emigrate to Canada. With, at this chicken place, uh, she's got a couple of friends. She's her. She has a boss who's really <laughs> rude to uh, all his staff. But um, and but he's he isn't that like attentive to his uh, to his job because um, he's caught up with his like own personal issues. And she she ends up getting stuck in the freezer of her of the fried chicken place she works at. And it's the story of how she does or does not survive. I have to, and we, again, we've, we chatted a little bit. It's like, this is, this film is horrifying for me in some ways. And <laughs> because of the cold, <laughs> no, actually I have, I have, I have worked in places where we, where there's, you know, locked cold storage. And this is one of my fears that I will somehow accidentally get locked in the cold storage. So to, to see that played out is incredibly horrifying. And the day that I watched the film the first time, there's, you know, sort of the first image where she gets locked in the freezer and it says it's minus 12 and a half Celsius. And it was minus 12 and a half Celsius here. <laughs> and I immediately thought of if I walked outside in sandals, thin clothing, I honestly couldn't last five minutes. The incredible amount of... Now, again, here, here is my question is like, is that because as a Canadian, that's hitting me really hard because <laughs> I understand that level of cold. But I mean, she would understand that level of cold too because she goes in and out of the, the, the freezer, but she's, she's absolutely not prepared for that to happen. Yeah, I'm, st I'm, I'm still speechless at the thought of it. And there were points when I was yelling at the screen, cover your toes, cover your toes. I was, I was obviously very invested and engaged with the film, which is, which is a really good thing. So I kept, like, I wonder if there was some sort of tortured metaphor there about moving to Canada, like how she would survive in the cold there. Um, and about her surviving in the freezer. Well, it is true. Like I've, I've heard like, um, immigrants come here from the Caribbean and say things like they arrived in January and they had seen snow on a movie screen and thought, oh, it's pretty, and then walked out of the airport here and went, oh my God, it's cold. And, you know, the, the sudden realization that, I, I mean, it, it is kind of a culture shock. It, it's a complete yes. culture shock because you, nothing prepared. Like we were, we were talking about, you know, the situation where you are with with the the sudden, you know, winter conditions that you're not particularly prepared for because you don't get them, and how because we live in a climate like that, we grow up and we learn these things as we grow up. They become second nature, and when you suddenly are are put into a a situation where you have to figure out how to survive, which is which is Helen's situation what kind of resources do you have to draw on? I, I I really loved the moment where she's she's got the packet the the package of materials for moving to Canada and she sees the igloo and she makes the decision to build an igloo out of boxes to keep herself warm. Like the the meticulous 
writing and plotting of, of that experience is really um, remarkable. Yes, uh, this is almost like a, like in some ways a contrast to what uh, George Uti goes through. Like, there's no, you know, just like in the first movie for this show, there's no long-term planning for her. She's just trying to get through the moment. And if anybody's seen the movie Trapped, have you seen Trapped with Rajkumar? I okay. haven't. So, I haven't. So, um, so when the uh, mouse slash rat shows up in this movie, I was like, "Oh no! Like, like she's gonna eat this friend!" And like, I'm because that's what happens in Trapped. And because that was like the direct comparison I was making to the 2016 um, Vikramaditya Motwani movie Trapped, which is also in some ways is a lot more horrific. So like. If you, this is hard for you, I would not watch Trapped. Uh, is it's because it, that goes on for days and weeks, I think. Um, yeah, so I I was really like worried for that mouse, uh, and like I was you know like oh my god the relationship between her and the mouse was like really profound and you know it. The, the sheer desperation of those circumstances and these two living beings surviving in it was very poetic. Well, and because at the beginning, she's she's um, not frightened, but really put off by the appearance of the mouse. And, you know, at, and then it reaches a point that she's feeding the mouse and she she builds the igloo and she puts she pushes the mouse inside. I, I got sort of thinking about this as as a city setting. And I mean, first of all, like a mall, a fast food place. I mean, it is it is sort of an impersonal city landscape. It is the kind of thing that reduces you to just one another, per, none the, one another face in the crowd. And that is something actually that comes up in the film with with the uh, the security guard for the mall. When they start realizing that perhaps she's still in the mall, and they get this guy and one of the things he realizes is he didn't see her come out because every day he doesn't know her mm-hmm. name, but every day these masses of people come by him and she smiles at him and she waves at him because I was, I was thinking of the difference between the place where I live, which is about 120,000 people to a huge city about an hour from us, Toronto. And even the differences in scale in terms of personal relationships and I, you know, I'm looking at this film, seeing a city landscape, but I'm also seeing the kind of city landscape because I know that even in a city my size, yes, we have those impersonal connections where we pass people and we don't know them, but we also have a lot more personal connections. And that's one of the things I, I found interesting about the film too, is Helen knows a lot of people. It's set up to show us like she's in the neighbor's house because she's a nurse and she's helping to look after one of the older women in the household. Um, but she really is well connected with a lot of people. And I think that's one of the things that helps with her survival. So maybe that's a commentary on, on a certain type of city environment that it would be obvious to me that in a village or in a rural area, or even here in Canada, a, a much smaller center where everybody knew everybody, the minute somebody disappeared, everyone would know and everyone would be engaged in that search. And it's sort of heartwarming to me to realize that even in a city on, you know, on the other side of the world, that's actually kind of the same way that we, if we build sort of a community, a, a, a series of connections within a really large community, then that's something that helps with our survival in that kind of landscape. Precisely. You know, I think that you're completely right that the, the, the mouse and the security guard are like two sides of the same coin in this story is that however insignificant the the person might seem or the connection to them might seem is that like ultimately those are the things that help you survive um help you thrive help you get out of uh, bad situations that's something i definitely wrote down about that mouse and the security guard kind of being like similar players in this story um and it's true, you know, having just survived a disaster myself, it really makes a difference that you have a sense of community in a big city, that you have a sense of, like, ties that bind to people who might not be, like, super, who might not, like, know your 
who might not be like around you like on a day-to-day basis but who will who will check up on you um you know that in a lot of ways this is the because this is a city there's not as many restrictions on her so that like immediately people don't realize that she's missing you know it's midnight in any other place in kerala if a girl is out at midnight people would be like what's she doing like where's she gone but this is a place where she's expected to be out after midnight um because it's a big city and she has a job that uh where like at a restaurant that works until midnight so people don't recognize that she's missing until quite late so there there is that two aspects of the city where um sometimes you don't realize somebody's missing until quite late because this is a city where people disappear in and out and you know that's just understood to be the norm i also found it it kind of interesting in terms of city portrayals because i was doing a lot of reading different articles and about how um you know often cities are places of disappointment um, or viewed as highly impersonal landscapes. Places, too, where you get a lot more freedom Mm -hmm. um, and maybe things are more liberal in terms of outlooks and, um, and the way you will interact with people. But I found this kind of interesting in that it it gives us sort of a more rounded view of this urban environment that she lives in. You have the impersonal, but you also have the very impersonal in the same film. Yep. There's no way that she could have been a Christian girl in a small town dating a Muslim boy. Like, they're always out together. They're going to... Like, if she was... If, you know, if somebody at a village church saw her like praying with some, uh, like a guy they knew to be Muslim, there was there was like no way that would have like been okay. But there, you know, I think maybe where this film goes a little bit too far at some point was like the extremely romanticized shot of like the chicken hub, which is where like the fried chicken place she works. Like I and my own cinema loves its food porn, so this like it made sense to me that they were so lovingly depicting her like to- uh, like tossing the chicken into the fryer and like uh, serving it. Um, and I think for her at least, I guess it made sense that they depicted it so romantically for her I think because the malls are so obviously like based on American capitalistic like uh empire that 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 uh the mall is like a like a liminal space for her into like the the life in Canada that she wants you know it's where she speaks English um to some of the clients uh the customers that come she gets complimented on her English there so for her it's almost a, a gateway even though like she has this like uh terrible boss um she she's she's already seeing like the life that she'll be able to live in canada there yeah and i actually went and you know looked up the mall online and was looking at pictures and went that's like any mall i've been in anywhere in the world i, I mean a few exceptions when i was looking at stores that were, were you know specifically indian brands but like a chicken hub <laughs> is just a fast food restaurant and it might be another name but i can go to the local mall and there'll be a restaurant like that um it it probably won't be filmed as lovingly (laughs) if it were ever filmed but yeah i can i can see that like that's the the promise of a better life or the light the better life she wants she wants to get rid of her family's debts so she and her father can live together more comfortably eventually yeah, and she's not even trying for a job to be, as a nurse in Kerala because nurses in Kerala are famously underpaid and like abused by their employers. Yeah. So there's she like she doesn't even like she it's it's so funny that she doesn't even like think about it like that she would rather work in this like small bit of America in Kerala than like go out and find a job which calls for her degree. There is though. Um, with the with the character um, played by Aju Varghese, the policeman, uh, S.I. Ritish mm-hmm. Kumar. Um, I mean, there's there's the moment with him that we do see some of what might be what might be a more small town kind of mindset mm-hmm. because he's he's the one they uh, she and her boyfriend are stopped at a police checkpoint when he's picked her up 
you know, at midnight after work to drop her home and they're stopped. And at first it's, it's, you know, a fine because Azar doesn't have a helmet. And then something about the situation, as I, um, Kumar doesn't like, he's, I, I, every once in a while, I see a character in a film that I just want to smack the two by four. It's one, a metaphorical, metaphorical violence solves nothing. Um, and it's that, that was, you know, like her father is not happy about when he discovers later on the relationship with the Muslim boyfriend. He's a more conservative Christian. He wonders why she has a Muslim friend who calls her and not more Christian friends. She jokingly says to him, you know, what century are we living in? Yeah. Um, but then that sort of comes back to haunt her when they meet this police inspector who does a lot of moral policing and makes a lot of assumptions about their relationship. And actually, because of his perceptions and misconceptions, hampers the, inv- in the search to find Helen. Yeah. So even in in a in a more liberal city environment, it doesn't mean you aren't going to find you know people who have more conservative viewpoints. Yes, I I definitely agree with him being the sort of reminiscent of a much smaller life with smaller possibilities. Like in his mind, there is no way that this is a girl out working who gets trapped in this like survival environment uh, because the only thing he knows is girls who run away to be with their boyfriends. Yeah, just, uh, you know, I I, I think like I kept thinking in the movie about that she's not fearful, that she's not like fearful about what will people say, that kind of thing. Um, She's only scared about her dad's reaction because like his approval means something to her, but she's not afraid of what people will say. And I think that's the most urban thing about Helen. Even Azar says to her father when they're searching for him and he, he, Paul makes the assumption that maybe she has done something and she's run away with him or the two of them are planning something. And Azar looks at him and he says, you've raised your daughter for 25 years. You should know her better than this. It's perfectly clear that neither one of them, they, they, they want to get married, but neither one of them are willing to do something that radical to hurt, to hurt people. And, I, and the thing is, they don't feel like they have to. They don't feel desperate enough to, because that's exactly what a city offers, is like the choice to not feel desperate, that you don't have any other place to go. This this came up in Varane Avishimundo too when we were talking about it um, one last time is that um, the city like offers a lack of judgment that um, that makes young people thrive in certain circumstances. And maybe that's a good place for us to wrap up because now I'm sort of thinking forward to one of the next films we're going to talk yes. about, which is which is Bangalore Days, which is another, and we, we we talked about this too in the previous episode where about, you know, people, about young people from Kerala moving to Bangalore for opportunities that might not exist in Kerala in, in, in a much bigger city experience. Yeah, and you know, in, I will say this is a very like, um, I think in some ways a good and bad balance in in Helen of what a city is like, you know, there's the coldness versus the, the, uh, how you can survive in it with the community's ties. Bangalore days has like a completely like rose tinted picture of what the city is like. (laughs) So let's save that for next time. And I think we might be done. Thanks for listening to the Poland and Empathy podcast. If you like what you're hearing, remember to come back for our next episode and share our podcast with your friends. If you'd like to connect with us, you can email us at polandidapati at gmail.com or reach out to us on our Twitter feed at polandidapati. See you next time.